disaster Don't you give up, don't you let away Talking about a forever after Don't you give up, don't you dare give oh, up Don't, don't you, you give up, give don't, up, don't up, you don't dare give up I love that song Blues Traveler. Greetings, friends, clients, adversaries, enemies, family members. Thank you for joining us. Jack Tuckner and Deborah Orell here in the Progressive Radio Network's beautiful new Manhattan studios with our Women's Rights in the Workplace show. We have a very special guest today. If anybody in our listening audience has a tax issue or a tax question. I know it gives me hives and I break out into a sweat even talking and thinking about it, as you know. Saying the T word to me, the accountant, and I always say this to my accountant, it's like going to my dentist. He doesn't understand and his feelings get hurt. And I said, and you don't even have nitrous oxide for me when I come to him. It's really a problem. But we're going to break the show up today into two segments. Probably we're going to start speaking with Alan Perlman about... um, his area of expertise in the practice of law, solving your tax problems. So for anyone, again, for yourself or for a relative, listen in. How often do you get a, a, a prominent tax attorney to give you free advice on a progressive radio network, on otherwise a liberal show? And we don't really like taxes very much. None of us do, of course. But Well, we love taxes we love except... being able to pay our taxes, and we love what our taxes can do. Mostly, except when it goes to the Pentagon or for well, things that we don't ex- agree with. Except when I pay the same amount as Mitt Romney into the Social Security Trust Fund, and my percentage well, is a, a lot higher than the hedge fund yes. guys that I pay. So it's a little yes. bit unfair. Well, that I agree. Okay. So, um, but we will just talk about so much more common. I could, I, could, I could bitch and moan all I want about how unfair it is, and I often do. Um, All but, too often. But I think we need to just get down to brass tacks. So I just want to introduce Alan R. Perlman, an attorney. Um, and the focus of Alan Perlman's law practice is tax problem solving, tax controversies, collection issues, and audits, and voluntary disclosures. Welcome, Alan, to the studio. To Hi. Show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. So um, let me first, first of all, I'm, I just want to, read a little bit about you here. When individuals or businesses are being hunted by the IRS, that's your term or is that their term? That's my term. Okay, so that seems pretty... Apropos. Pre- well, <laughs> a little precarious. I mean, is that how... So you see it also is that they are sort of gunning for you? Is that why you use at that? At times. Term? At times, certainly. Okay. So w- when, when individuals or businesses are hunted by the IRS or the state of New York or perhaps your state, doesn't matter, any state or county's uh, tax... Department of Taxation and Finance, Alan Perlman represents taxpayers and enables them to say, I used to have a tax problem, but now it's gone. Wouldn't that be? See, that's making me want to hire him already, by the way. You know that. That's a (laughs) tagline. He is the chair of the Committee on Taxation at New York County Lawyers Association. My old job. He recently taught continuing legal education course, IRS New York State Tax Audits and Collection Procedure 101, what non-tax lawyers need to know at New York County Lawyers Association. Outstanding. Earlier in Allen's life, he was a lawyer. as a, He served in a judicial clerkship at the United States Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit. Very fancy. Uh, our very august federal uh, Court of Appeals appellate court uh, that would want nothing to do with me, so it's outstanding. You should know that uh, Allen was able to 
uh, clerk for those top federal judges, which is the level right below the Supreme Court of the United States. That's right. Uh, and he was also a senior court attorney at the New York State Supreme Court. Allen has received the highest rating and so-called AV rating by Martindale Hubble Peer Review. And he can be reached at his law office, Allen R. Perlman in Manhattan. Telephone number, which I'll repeat again several times during the show. And at the end is 646-827-4257. 646-827-4257. And his website, arperlmanlaw.com or solveyourtaxproblemnow.com. And I'm sure if you Google Alan R. Perlman, attorney, New York, all of this will come up. So may we just jump in and ask you a couple of questions. That jump right are. in. And if our listeners have any question direct, please give us a quick shout at 888-874-4888, and we'll put you right on the air with Mr. Perlman. So... What, what are some of the most common and costly mistakes that taxpayers make representing themselves before the IRS? And, but let me just ask you first, being that presupposes that people represent themselves before the IRS, is that a common thing? That people people show do. Up? It is common. It's not necessarily advisable, okay, so what but the, they do. So what are the mistakes? Some of, some of the mistakes are incredibly simple, like not opening your mail. And what happens is for a lot of people, just hearing the letters IRS or seeing it on an envelope, on uh, the who it's from portion of an envelope in the mail, um, causes, like you, Jack, to break out in hives at, at the word IRS, and a lot of people just won't even open, won't even open the letter to see what's in it. And that can be enormously problematic because if the IRS is writing to you, Generally, it's writing to you because it wants to communicate, and sometimes it may be that they're saying we need X, Y, or Z from you, or we think you owe us a certain amount of money, please pay. And when they do things like that, um, if you disagree, some, you're given a certain amount of time to respond. And if you don't respond, then the things that scare us, about the IRS can happen. Bank accounts get frozen, wages get garnished, um, people go to their cash machines and knowing they have a, a couple hundred or a few thousand dollars in their bank account and uh, they try and take out a hundred dollars and the cash machi machine says, uh, sorry, you can't have access to your money. Those are some of the really scary things and very disrupting to life things that can happen and it can be triggered by not opening your mail from the IRS. So first of all, are you, are you saying that the IRS can sort of simply, without even notice to you, you know, f freeze your personal bank account? No, no, I'm not saying... Oh, because your people aren't opening up the letters that threaten... If threatened. they send a letter, <laughs> they're giving you notice. And, um, and actually, uh, it even... That raises another thing, which is another one of the simple mistakes that people make, um, uh, which is uh, if they move to not notify the IRS that they've moved to a new address because the IRS's obligation to give notice is to send a letter to the last known address on file. So if they're sending it to your old address and it's not getting forwarded, it, it, it becomes your fault, 
your problem, the taxpayer. And mm -hmm. and um, uh, I think I'm I, I think I'm not. I think I've, s I've seen this recently where a taxpayer did move, subsequently filed a tax return, which had his new address on his new tax return, and later the IRS sent a notice to his old address uh, causing problems. Um, it may be that ultimately it is, in that circumstance, the IRS's fault but it's going to take a whole lot of figuring out and time and effort and heartache to figure it out as to what happens. So it's a good idea to use the change of address form that the IRS has and send it in. Okay, now this seems, this seems pretty basic. So you're saying that, <laughs> that people keep an envelope from the IRS, let's say, on their dining room table unopened for months be under the... The, the perhaps the notion that if they don't open it, like if you don't open the door and death's knocking, he'll go away? Usually it goes into a desk drawer. But again, just because if I don't know what's in it, I don't have to be nervous about it? Something like that. Okay. Or I don't have to deal with it. I, okay. So, all right. Um, let's say whether it's that issue or you do open it up and you see that there's some issue the IRS is telling you about. So what are the, if you open the envelope, okay. what might you see? Uh, you might see a letter saying, Dear Taxpayer, um, uh, we have received your tax return, and yes, you're right. You do owe us $9,000. Please send it in. That may be something, or 20000 or whatever it might be. Um, or it might be a, a letter saying, Dear Taxpayer, we... Uh, we sent you a letter a while ago saying that you owed us a certain amount of money and asked you to send it in, and we haven't heard from you. Please give us a call or send they the payment. They ask you that? Give them a call? They have a yeah. phone number? Okay. Yeah. Um, another thing that you might see is um, uh, if uh, following this, going further down the line, there might, there's a series of letters where they get increasingly urgent and and after a letter or two more, they get to the point of giving you the formal notice that, that they have to give before they do the bank account freezing things. Okay. Um, those are some of the things that you might see. Okay. So by the time someone's going to pick up the phone and call you, that this would be a good time if you get a letter like that, certainly that's increasingly urgent, to call you right. I mean, I mean uh, yes. But most people are probably going to start out with just calling their accountant. Does this mean that most of these letters you're talking about were probably prepared by someone, or most of them were were these returns that were either? I mean, there's there's all kinds of scenarios. I guess some people yeah. don't file returns. Some people do. Yeah. Some people have accountants. Sometimes they don't. Yeah. But by the time they're coming to you, you're the surgeon, right? It's like you yes. have a problem now. You need. You know, you need open Bring heart surgery. Bring in the big yes. guns, right? Okay, yes. so you're the big gun for taxes. Yeah. So what? So what? What are the and, and avoiding these are the costly mistakes that you would say? How do you avoid them by opening your mail from the IRS? <laughs> uh, yes, and, and telling them when you move. Yes. Okay. Um, and you affirmatively have to write to the IRS that you moved. You have every you don't, time you, you don't have to. Well, if you're self-employed, certainly you should. Okay. Um, um, there's a question whether their computer system is together enough to take information off of a tax return or off of a W-2 form, 
um, and note that there's a new address. I see. Uh, which it. probably it should they should do, and and I don't know. It's possible that it doesn't always work perfectly. So, are there special or secret strategies or loopholes that one should know about when negotiating with the IRS? Um, I like that question. <laughs> well, there are uh, there are times when, if you are up to the point of of considering uh, hiring a tax professional to represent you. Um, it probably means that you're in the range of triggering appeal rights. And so one of the letters that, that you might receive is saying, Dear taxpayer, we haven't heard from you. This is your final notice of our intent to levy. If you don't pay us, we're going to take your stuff. Okay. Um, um, and at that point, taxpayers have an opportunity to appeal um, by properly and timely filing a certain form that says, Dear IRS, I know you, essentially, it's saying, Dear IRS, I know you intend to levy my account, but I can't afford to pay, and I want a hearing where I can propose um, um, collection alternatives, that means alternatives to levying, alternatives to seizing bank accounts, collection alternatives less onerous than levying. And levying means taking your stuff. Taking your stuff. Your bank account, your house, your car, whatever they can. Would it takes a long time to get to the houses. But okay. but but bank, bank accounts account, easy? Yes. Bank accounts easy, wages are easy, and if you're in business for yourself, depending on how bad things are, the IRS can go to your clients and say, "You know that invoice that you owe?" to this this business. Oh my god. Yeah really that's pay us not it. That happens. That that oh my that god. Can that kind of it's kind would of undermine your business. It's bad for business. It's very bad <laughs> for business. <laughs> wow. So so, uh, so the, the, the the secret strategies are actually engaging with them to try to buy yourself some breathing room. Yes. Which you can do. Now when w w so why would people so do, can people do this themselves, represent themselves? They, they can. Just the secret? They can do it themselves. So why but retain you? There are a few reasons not to. First is, as we were discussing before going on the air, uh, Jack, as you pointed out, a person who represents himself as a fool for a client. Um, that is generally true, and it is, I believe, true here. So right. that's the first thing. Right. Second, the rules and procedures and practices of the IRS are, while in a lot of ways rather straightforward, are complicated. And there's a lot of, a lot of different things to be aware of. And um, I have encountered a number of situations where taxpayers, highly educated, very intelligent, able to handle all sorts of things in their own lives, come to me with in a situation that's way worse than it needed to be because they really didn't understand how things work. And, right. you know, I've taken a fair amount of time devoting my attention to figuring this stuff out so that I can talk to um, uh, the people at the IRS and 
and and effectively demonstrate to the IRS that the taxpayer I'm representing, whatever their history may be, that they are now committed to getting things cleaned up, and uh, I do my best to not give away rights that don't have to be given away. Do they ever settle? Like if you ha- if you owe twenty thousand dollars and you say I'll, I can pay ten, and you know wipe out the other ten, like you can do with credit cards. Does that be offering compromise, so called? Yeah, in fact, they they do, um, and uh, but they they are different from other creditors um, in that they are much less flexible. Um, so in order to settle for less than the full amount due, generally, most of the time, what the sort of argument that you're making is you're saying, IRS, I, uh, I know I owe, let's say, $50,000, but I really don't have the money to pay. I, don't, I can't sell anything because I don't have any assets or the assets that I have come nowhere near uh, what what the debt is, my income is barely covering my living expenses, so I don't have anything to pay with. Um, That is the essential argument, and if you're making that argument, then then the taxpayer, frequently with my help, demonstrates, shows with, um, uh, with backup, um, what their income is, what their assets are, what their expenses are, and turning their expense their their expenses into a monthly number. What's your rent or your mortgage? If you live in a co-op or a condo, what's your what are your common charges or your maintenance charges? If you have a car, do you own it? Do you lease it? What are your monthly payments? What does it cost to to operate the car? Um, do you have health insurance? What does that cost? And we so sift through all of that, which then gets filtered through what are called collection standards of the IRS, where they deter- they have a levels, a range of what they consider to be reasonable expenses. So, for example, if you have a two-person household in Manhattan your rent or your living expenses uh, can be, I think, up to something like $4,800. If you are a two-person household in the Bronx, I think the top amount is something like 2800 Okay, but it's, it's not like the insurance reimbursements, let's say, to doctors based on, you know, what it, the doctor in the backwoods of Alabama would charge, you know, the $8 they reimburse. Yeah. Right, or, I mean, so you're saying they're, they're mostly based on reality, or are they giving you, they're saying it would actually cost you $2,000 to live? They're based on, I, I think that some of, some of the levels of expenses come from other branches of government, like the Labor Department, and, okay. um, and it is, there's some basis in reality, like I think probably it's more, ex- generally more expensive to have an apartment in in Manhattan than it is to have one in Queens. No question. Um, Except it depends where you are in Queens, well, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, wait, wait a minute. So I want to go back sure. to this. So 
So you owe $20,000. You demonstrate that um, after all your expenses, whatever the income is, I don't know. Mm -hmm. So it comes down to, you know, you have $30 at the end of the month. How can you possibly make a payment more than $25? Okay. So do you just, will they then say, okay? Well, what happens is when you do this this presentation of your income, assets, and expenses, then you do a calculation filtering your expenses through their standards, and sometimes you fight about whether you should be allowed more, but ultimately you get to a number and you take what your income is minus your allowable living expenses, and then if you have whatever might be left over, $100 a month, $1,000 a month, and then you multiply it by either 12 or 24, depending on what type of offer and compromise you are applying for, and add that together with the value of your assets, which may be zero or mm -hmm. maybe something, and that becomes your, your required minimum. It's the lowest you can offer them. Right. So that would be the $25. Yeah, that so would be the $25. Right. But then so you're paying $25 for the rest of your life. Well, because no. by the time they add all of the penalties and interest to it. No. Statute of limitations, isn't there? No. No, so that's why uh, I'm asking. So what happens is once you've calculated what your minimum offer is, you offer that. Yeah. And you say, let's wipe the slate clean. I can show you that all of my my income, my assets, and expenses shows that my minimum offer on this twenty thousand dollar debt, be easier to talk about a two hundred thousand dollar debt, um, is five thousand dollars. So that's what I'm offering. If they take it, then it's over. Then the big debt you're trying to compromise has been compromised. And that's what you do. That's one of the things I do. Uh, so you're saying if they accepted 5000 to to settle 20000 Correct. But that's the one lump sum. Correct. That's not what this person doesn't have. You still have to come up with that. Well, you either, you would be looking at either paying it out within five months of your offer being accepted or paying it out within 24 months. Oh, okay. So... Well, all right. Well, that would be a good, all right, well, take that's the a good trick. Off. Right. Yeah. yeah. So just... Uh, How often do they do that, though? Because I always heard that they don't. You know, that you just... It's like uh, you owe this money and you're going to pay it. And I don't care if it takes you 20 years. No, well, it, it that sounds more like New York State. Yes. Well, maybe I'm <laughs> confusing um, the two. But um, they... They... Uh, accept thousands of offers a year. I don't. I don't recall the number. They mm -hmm. report it. It's public information. Mm -hmm. um, and ten years ago, they had a. I think it was about a. A sixty percent rejection rate because there were lots of very unscrupulous um, offer and compromise. Like supposed tax representatives who just would oh, put yeah. together bad offers, right? Um, right. And the the IRS tightened up, and now they a lot of a lot of those uh, 
unscrupulous companies uh, have been driven out of business, mm. and now As the well acceptance rate, yeah, the acceptance rate is higher. Okay. Right. Well, that's good. That's good news. All right, so the other thing that I thought was very interesting that I learned that you had said, with New York State, if you don't pay your taxes, they can take your driver's license away. Wow. Yes, that's, a, that's relatively new legislation. It was enacted about a year ago um, by the legislature of the state of New York, signed by, by uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo. And what's the and point of that? The point to further penalize you, so you can't, so you can't pay, get yeah. to work. Well, you can get a limited, a limited use driver's license where you are allowed to go drive just to, and to from work, work, yeah, and drive home. And does it mean that you lose your license if you stop at a Seven Seven Eleven to get uh, a can of Coke? Um, I don't know, um, but. It it is um, directed to anyone owing the state of New York ten thousand dollars or more. Uh, legislation had been introduced after it was put into play. Legislation had been introduced to um, lower the threshold to anyone owing five thousand or more, but that legislation did not make it well, through. Well, hell, because I would imagine the majority of people owe much less. So yeah. what havoc that could wreak and how punitive, don't you think? Well, yeah. I think it's clearly punitive, but it also, and I don't know, this is just a question now for I you, don't. Alan. Does the IRS, you know, in this hunting down people, we're all, af- everybody, IRS, audits, it's, again, nobody mm. thinks warmly and fondly of the tax man. But don't they target and hunt um, smaller prey, typically? They could do a lot better if they went after all of the Mitt Romney. Well, all of the—I mean, again, Mitt Romney—it's legal, and this is the thing that you know we have to go into because it's not exa- what you do. But we're all aware that there are, you know, inequities built into the tax schema, right? Yeah. The code. So again, why is it if you make money from money, right? When you make money from money, that's considered. So if you make like like hedge 40, funds, 40, like so, forty-two male hedge fund um, hedge fund managers. In 2011, the last time I saw the data on this, made an average. They pulled out an average of two billion. That's with a B each in 2011. One, forgot his name, Williams, I think, was the last pulled down four million, four billion, and then someone with like 1.5 billion. So the average was two point something, billion, which is close to a million an hour, by the way. Um, 15 percent, right? Mm-hmm. Not on carried interest on that type of versus well, if a surgeon who works works for a living makes 300,000 or 250,000 or 175,000 is Paying thirty six, thirty nine percent. I think, yeah. I, well, I think we're talking about two separate, two separate issues here. I mean, one is the the rules on what is taxable, right. versus the the efforts to collect what has been assessed. Right. Okay. Um, and and. But we uh, just like really bitching about. Well, yeah. no, but no, those two separate issues. The but unfair. But, but it is on. But again, even just American corporations that they say they have the highest tax rate in the in the world, but they don't, right? When you could, they may have it, but they don't. They're from inversions and yeah. offshoring, and twenty five percent GE pays zero. So yeah. again, just the average person, which is what sort of the groundswell is, not even even Donald Trump is talking this stuff, right? I mean, just the whole outsider, not not you know, it's still a clown, not yeah. the way Bernie Sanders is, but you know, in terms of. Why, if we, first of all, again, if we lifted the cap, I mean, this is just, only just because you're, it's hard to, uh, if we lift the cap, which I don't understand, because those of us in this room that work for a living, we pay 
the max, right? You right. and I have a practice. We probably pay the max. What is that, based on 118 k now? I think so. But that's it. And they talk about yeah. securities going broke. Yeah, no, they should and, raise it. They should raise it. it would be, but it would be flush for decades to come. Yeah. Right? Okay. Billions so, of decades. <laughs> billions of decades. <laughs> so, okay, so just, um, so, so just to remind you, when the IRS, when can they seize your bank account or your paycheck? Yeah, though? So people are like, that's when? another good one. They, that's still, they, they can seize it when you've blown them off, if you will. Yeah. But they had to have gotten your tax, they had to have gotten your account number. Like How ha- do they know where your account is? Because well, it's the IRS and they easy? know everything? They find you, right? They, they have... They have the ability to investigate. um, So they could find my little $1,200 bank account somewhere and seize it. Well, when you open that bank account, you gave them, you gave the bank not only your your name and address, but also your social security number. Right. And at the end of, and at the end of the year, the bank will send uh, a 1099 um, yeah, on uh, information return yeah. reporting the interest that you've earned. So right. they've 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 already got you. Okay. They, I mean they've they. So there's nothing they, that they, they don't even that ha- you would have had to have signed before they could actually seize money no. out of your account. So no. they could just do it any old. There's no due process involved, really. It's not like you have to. It's not like this adjudicated. You could take my money now. Well, the, uh, you know, after, in, you remember back in the 1990s when in the mid-90s there were a bunch of public hearings um, in Congress where the IRS was publicly shamed, excoriated, and exposed for being the rogue agency that it had become. As a result of that public exposure of how bad they were, um, uh, Congress enacted a, a huge reform act called the Internal Revenue Service Restructuring and Reform Act of 1998. And as part of that, um, Congress created new rights for, for taxpayers to deal with some of the, this bad behavior, including the whole series of <laughs> required letters, um, which includes the final notice of intent to levy, which triggers a taxpayer's appeal rights where they can formally request a hearing uh, and be able to, as we were discussing before, propose collection alternatives Mm -hmm. less Mm -hmm. onerous than levying. And the IRS must give... um, must give the, the taxpayer notice, and if the taxpayer timely files their request for a collection due process hearing, they get that hearing and collect enforced collection, including levying and garnishing and all those bad things, are uh, stayed pending that okay. hearing. So this sounds, so, Alan. What about all? This sounds pretty complicated because all those. Uh, you know, late night commercials after the like H and R Block commercials for uh, these outfits that seem to say they'll s- settle your tax debt for less than what you owe. Like, is it similar to when you um, you know consolidate your debt? Those things on the bus stops. You see, oh, all this money, we'll get it down to nothing. I don't know whether the, is is that does that work? Does it happen that there are, that there are these outfits that advertising at night to settle your tax debt? Well, the the uh, the 
the companies that are advertising on late night television, I suspect, I don't know because I haven't investigated, but I suspect that they are, at least some of them, are remainders from the bad years of the early 2000s when, when um, there were a lot of bad offers and compromises being submitted. Okay. Um, and, you know, they just can't help themselves, and they keep doing it. And they still. haven't, and they haven't, <laughs> and they haven't been driven out yet. Wow. Well, perhaps but it's a scam. You have to buyer beware. I mean, yeah, stuff, right? yeah. I mean, the 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 places that 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 promote settling your tax debt for 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 less than you owe, um, uh, they make it sound easy. And you know, if when we were talking a few minutes ago, you heard how quickly complex it gets mm -hmm. to go about putting forth the sort of uh, proof and analysis mm -hmm. that you need to to actually be able to persuade the government that it as a creditor should walk away from some of some of the debt it's owed okay. um, I mean it well, can be done wrong? here's the dual question that goes along with that I think they said I owe X number of dollars they're freaking wrong they should be wrong, number one. They didn't. I wrote about all my deductions, exemptions, and, and heartache. But they're wrong. And not only are they wrong, um, then there's, it's not just what I owe, then there's penalties and interest, which can like double it or something. It's crazy. Yeah. What, what can you do if you know they're wrong and you want to, it's not that you, you're trying to avoid taxes like, uh, who's the actor who went to jail? You know, Wesley Snipes. Wesley Snipes. He just says, I'm not paying taxes or whomever else. For people, I don't know why. I'm just going to get away with not paying. No, I'm going to pay taxes. It's just that you're killing me with this, and it's wrong. So, but now you waited until you didn't go to H&R Block, and ju you waited until you're in trouble. You have a, this levy letter. Mm -hmm. Can you do something about it if you think they're wrong? Yes, if you know, if if you're, as you put it, if if you if you are sure that they're wrong, it probably means that at some point you got audited. Okay. Um and. And the <coughs> and the IRS did, got it wrong, and it could be that that you were actually audited and you participated, and they just got it wrong. So, do you, you defend these audits, or that's after you? Usually, um, I I do audits. You do. Okay. I, um, um, I've done more of cleaning up audits where the first audit went wrong. Okay. But I I I also do audits. Um, um, so. In that situation, you can. There's something called audit reconsideration. Um, generally, it means putting together the proof that should have been looked at in the first audit and presenting it, and and essentially saying, "Here's the first audit. Here's why it's wrong, and here's the proof that we have that should have been looked at um, the first time around. Now, please." recalculate the audit. And it's always better to have a CPA or a tax attorney represent you in those kinds of situations because the IRS, it's like you're talking the same language. Yeah. You know, for the same reason that you don't really rep yourse represent yourself in court because you don't know the procedures, the language. Yeah, yeah, that's, I, so. I would agree with that. So what can the average person? What about all those? Uh, you know, can the average person put their money in, in in a bank in Switzerland or the Cayman Islands like corporations do? 
Um, and, and the one building with there's like 6,000 companies at the same address? Yeah. We went past that well, building. <laughs> I think when in I was Cayman in the Island. Cayman Islands, there's I mean, a... Why, <laughs> why, why is it? I, mean, yeah. I understand that the wealthy have more... I could smell the money. But, but why, you know, just like Mitt Romney was able to, I think he put $20 million per kid into their IRAs, but, you know, different rules like the two criminal justice systems. But why can't you? Because I've heard that maybe not the average, you know, wage earner, but is there a way to... Shelter I am, your money? I, well, legally, I, legally. I'm not asking you. I'm sure that there are banks overseas that will be happy to take your money. Um, as far as taking money out of the country or keeping money out of the country um, in with for the purpose of having it not exist on your tax return is is something one should not do because first of all, it's illegal. And right. and you could wind up in prison. Um, but also, if you are someone who is willing to roll the dice and say, "Well, if they, I bet they're not going to catch me, and I like my money, I don't want to pay my taxes," um, then there's the additional, more practical problem, or additionally practical problem, that. Um, um, uh, you, you will get caught. And since the early 2000s, uh, the federal government and the IRS have been very busy working on making sure that, that um, they find out about um, American taxpayers who are keeping money abroad and not but reporting it. But they do it, it right? The, 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 you know, the rich have their money... I mean, they, they do it um, regularly. But, in fact, but, you, but they institutionally do it because you always read about not that the bankers go to jail, but there's always someone somewhere in you know, UBS or one of the big five banks that it's all right. I mean, it's done regularly, and so I guess the question is, when does it does it ever become? Is there sort of a legal murky, or is it just only when companies do it? You know, you have the GE in Taiwan sells for a dollar to the American. You know, they, there's all kinds of ways, right? The subterfuge. I think the corporate. The corporate stuff is sort of separate, okay. um, um, and at this at this moment, I don't think I I can discuss the inversions. And, and okay, well, it won't be of interest to know. the average person. But if a person had five hundred thousand dollars and to say put it in, you know, like safe the safe banks in Europe or in, you're but they're still not they're not safe anymore. They're not safe anymore. They're so, not safe anymore. But what anymore. about the tax? So what is the offshore voluntary disclosure initiative? For people who who have been doing that, hiding you know, hiding money uh, that should be reported as income, hiding it in foreign bank accounts in the Cayman Islands, in Hong Kong, in Switzerland, in Liechtenstein, um, um, the, the focus on getting that money back into the system of uh, that the federal government has been been taking since probably 2003 or 4 or 5 um, um, has scared a lot of people who who were doing that into wanting to come in from the cold also oh, repatriation of uh, the money yeah and so yeah like we see all our corporations doing that too <laughs> are they no oh. and 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 so uh, lots of taxpayers who have had foreign bank accounts have 
signed up where they voluntarily really? okay. they 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 sign up for the as long as they're not already under investigation not subject to an audit um um basically not being looked at yet if they raise their hand and say hey uh i have a bunch of money in a foreign bank oh, account that i haven't paid taxes on i want to report it and i want to correct my tax oh. returns and i'll pay I'll I'll pay the tax and and let me have the less terrible penalties for participating in this program than I'd otherwise be okay. subject to. So like a moratorium or an amnesty on like yeah. handing yeah. your guns. I have a legal illegal gun when you those times they say turn them into the precinct. Yeah. I mean I will pay you twenty five dollars right, for every gun. You know, a couple of offshore voluntary disclosure clients of mine said essentially you know, I want to be able to sleep at night, and I want to be able to see my kids grow up. Well, I hope you're building them by the hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, really. So, <laughs> what's the difference between, I've always meant to ask someone, the, the, the actual difference between tax evasion and tax avoidance? Tax evasion is illegal, and tax avoidance or tax planning? Uh, uh, oh, that's, that's just a synonym for planning? Uh, tax avoidance? Tax avoidance? It's like you know, euphemism for uh, not I guess I guess the question is, well, how have you heard tax avoidance used? I just always hear them together, like if you evade or avoid your taxes, you're going to get in trouble. And I thought, so oh. my sense of it, one okay. was, is, I don't know, that's why I'm asking. Okay, you know, the distinction. so I, I, I'm certainly familiar with the term tax evasion, right. and that is acting in ways that are illegal to evade, to evade and I guess that leads to saying avoid, paying taxes. The, uh, the tricky part of this is that, as Judge Learned Hand pointed out in the 1950s, using the tax law rules to organize your financial life in a way that allows you to pay as little tax as is absolutely possible under the law is legal. Okay, so the, but that's then that's the avoidance. Cause so, so when Donald Trump pays, as I understand, zero personal income tax, right? Then four times his company's declared bankruptcy, and he's, you know, lives as a, like a lottery winner. He's avoiding, I suppose, legally avoiding paying his fair share, right? Because it's not evasion. Then that's what he says. That's well, that's what he says. But I'm saying I think that's what Alan is also saying that if you could do it in the ways that you get to do, because it's kosher as opposed to listen back. Didn't we have then under Eisenhower we had ninety one percent of tax rate? Yeah, right? something like that. So again, it's now it's never before my this time. Low. But <laughs> right, but you, you know, study and then <laughs> the countries where again you know the, the higher tax rates usually correlate in our in our time of prosperity they correlate with better pros- highest prosperity. So um, I'm not saying I think everyone should pay their fair share. It's just that it does always seem that the burden is on again us, isn't it? This sort of the middle class, whatever you could say. Even if, even even the upper middle class pays. The crazy taxes compared with the uber wealthy. Yeah, well, the problem with with wording it that way is that if if one is doing it legally, the answer from right. the representative it's Donald closer. Trump is, what do you mean? He's paying his fair share. Right. Well, but his fair share. Right. Is but zero, he. But right. he has, and maybe not necessarily him, but corporations have the political action um, leverage to have the laws written yeah. to favor them. 
So that's what starts the whole thing. So it's about getting Congress to change the laws, which will never happen because... Well, when Bernie's president will happen. Yeah. So what did we, did we yeah, miss anything? Do better in the debate, though, next yeah. time. He won the debate. I, oh another God. subject. Yeah. He won the debate. You missed this whole CNN scandal? He won the debate in every living room except all of corporate media no. saying he, she crushed it. But That's he won what the Fox debate. News was saying, that he won it. No. Anyway. Okay. CNN, by the because way. Because they'd rather CNN be up against focus Bernie. Groups. I heard the focus groups on the Tom Hartman show. Yeah, Bernie show. won. But no, no, but I, he won hands down, and then they were uh, they were burying it and even erasing comments on CNN's website. And people said, <gasps> what are you talking about? I it's did like not know scandal. this. Yeah. So, all right. So, um, we've been speaking with Alan Perlman uh, today, a tax attorney in New York City. Been very uh, helpful and educational to us. His website is arperlmanlaw.com or solveyourtaxproblemnow.com, one long word. And the telephone is 646-827-4257. Do you uh, represent clients outside of New York? Is that possible? Yes, I do. So that's not you, because you're he has licensed a whole bunch I, in the Cayman Islands. Where are you? Where, so where are you licensed <laughs> to practice law? Well, I'm licensed to practice law in in New York. Um, okay. Um, but as be, and in the federal courts of okay. the state of New York. Okay. Um, the IRS issues are ones that any you know any attorney. I mean, I can handle. Any IRS issue, wherever a taxpayer may be. Okay. So I mean, a New some, Jersey case, even if you're not a New Jersey lawyer, and even if it winds up in federal court, you can practice in, yeah. in, right, in the federal yes. court in New Jersey. Okay. Great. So, I don't know if I can practice. I don't know if I'm admitted to federal court in New Jersey. I think, though, that's but, a simple kind of pro hack beach thing, right? I mean, Probably. Okay, yeah. you're talking probably. shop. Yeah, we're talking but, Latin. But, um, Yiddish. That was Yiddish. Yiddish. But much of what I do with the IRS is administrative before the IRS, and that it, anybody I can, can do. I can do anywhere it's from, like, for it's anyone. Like you. Anywhere. Right. Well, what about me? Because we have cases in Alaska, oh, right. and California, right. and Florida. I guess what it happen- just depends. Right, right. But of course, if you had to go to court in Alaska, we'd probably get a local counsel, as you might have to do. Yeah. So, any other questions or anything? No, but this was interesting. This I'm telling you, that whole thing about. You know, New York State taking your license. I had no idea. Well, speaking of New York State, you know, also, if I, what about, as happens with me all the time, I owe money to New York State. Um, I don't like them at all. I owe money to both the IRS and New York State, as many self-employed people, people like I do. And my accountant actually just this month said to me when I said, reduce it and extend it and pay, he said, not with New York. Don't pay New York. I'm telling you, they're going to be, and I didn't even know why he oh. said that. Yes. So is it, can I make some kind of deal with the IRS first because I owe more money to the IRS than to New York State? How does that work? You out? know, the, the interesting thing is that one would think that because the tax bill for the IRS will generally be larger than the one to New York State, if you're owing both, you know, take care of the big one first and, get, and, get, and deal with it because it's bigger. But, but actually what I have found is that Either when I'm doing it, either I'm doing both at the same time, or if I have a choice, I will try and deal with New York State first. Okay. Both because their rules and procedures are much tougher um, than the IRS's, and there's mm-hmm. much less flexibility, and they are much 
Meaner. less forgiving than than the is IRS. That, is that structural or you know institutions? Why is that generally? Is I, th I think it's structural. I think it's institutional. I mean, when I talk to them on the phone, they're very nice, um, and and it's much. It's still much so harder put to put a leg clamp on you. So yeah. they're nice <laughs> until what? I'm it's still until until you say, well, how about let's say, how about a, a, a 60 month installment agreement uh, to get this debt paid off? And what, what I'll hear is, we'll give you an installment agreement, but it has to be in, in 24 months or 30 months. Okay. And so a smaller span of time means a larger, a, a larger monthly payment, which the taxpayer might not be able to handle, where a longer period of time might allow for the taxpayer to be able to manage it. And they're very, they've been very inflexible on things like that. Wow. Also, if they freeze a bank account, it's much harder to shake it loose to get them to release really? some of it, even, wow. uh, it's a much oh, bigger fight. Okay, two questions. What's, who, is, who, who are, and I don't know this, the tax advocates in federal, like I've heard that, the tax advocates office? The, um, they're supposed to help the, us, the taxpayer? Yeah, the, uh, at the IRS, as part of the Restructuring Reform Act of 1998, which we were talking about right. before, right. Um, I believe that the Office of the Taxpayer Advocate Okay. Uh, was created, which is at the IRS, a, an agency within the agency, an independent ombudsman that is designed to try and address problems where the ordinary channels of problem resolution have failed. And so if, if things go, go really bad when you're dealing directly with the IRS, sometimes you can make an application for help from the taxpayer advocate. Okay. Um, that's that's what that is. Several years ago, um, New York State's Department of Taxation and Finance copied oh, to did. some degree the the IRS's taxpayer advocate. But they're mean. And New York State has created the Office of the Taxpayer Rights Advocate. And actually, my co-presenter at the New York County Lawyers a couple weeks ago, Jack Trachtenberg was the first New York State um, uh, taxpayer rights really? advocate. Uh -huh. And it is similar in being a, uh, an, uh, a uh, ombudsman, independent ombudsman, uh, to deal with problems that aren't being resolved. And sometimes they help. I've used them. Sometimes they help. Sometimes they do don't. Do you need to be a lawyer to use them? No, no. They're, they're available to... They are lawyers, okay. accountants, and their clients. The taxpayers. taxpayer. Okay, so you yeah. can you pick can up the phone you can call and them and say what well, you know. New York State's being unreasonable. Yes, and okay. help. So they may okay, but are they because they are are they in sort of an adversarial posture with it? With the are they going to go up against and say no? But we want thirty six months, not twenty four months. Are they going to help? They well, they might. They might. I mean, they're supposed to act as an independent neutral. Yes. To try and yeah. Okay. There you go. Okay, so I want to know what are the other awful things that New York State or IRS <laughs> can do to you that I don't know. You know, like I'm telling well, you. Well, do you know about liens? Do you know about federal tax well, liens? Well, unfortunately, I'm somewhat familiar with those. Yeah, well, what does it really mean? Everybody, I mean, maybe a notice of federal tax lien um, takes takes your enormously private tax life, 
which ordinarily is secret, ex except between you and the IRS. And the IRS makes it public, saying, hello, world. This person is a taxpayer who owes us money. And what that does, when they file it publicly at the county clerk or the city register, wherever deeds are recorded, um, it goes on to your credit report, it ruins your credit rating, it makes you unable to get financing from banks or other lenders because you've got a federal tax lien, which... Oh, which is the worst tax lien to have. It's not like, you know, Jennifer yeah. Convertible or something. Or Correct. Okay. Correct. And I owe Jennifer you ever get, I, I was going to, I thought it was the Jennifer Blockbuster Con no, for seven ninety nine. Jennifer Convertible wouldn't no, sell me a sofa. This was you owe $14.99. Yeah, I owed a late a Blockbuster late charge that was in collections, so I couldn't buy a sofa with my kids present in 1999. <laughs> I couldn't get a sofa on, lay, on whatever it's called, layaway or financing because I owed Blockbuster. So, and is that, <laughs> so <coughs> those liens are pu public, Googleable? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, they they show for ones filed in New York County. They show up on Acris, okay. and so. But they're certainly picked up by the credit reporting agencies. Right. Yeah, and that's what's important because um, everything uh, is priced off of your credit ratings. Yeah, and the the New York State equivalent to a notice federal tax lien is a tax warrant, which is the equivalent <laughs> of a money Shivers judgment in God. in. New York Supreme Court, even though there was no judge or jury involved, and that similarly impairs your credit. Big time. Well, that's because they're first in line with their handout, right, then, no matter what? Um, I don't think, well, actually, I think in New York State is still a race notice uh, yeah. state, so they I don't think they jump in, bet. they don't, I don't think they jump to the front of the line, but they are, but, but they're at least in line as a secured uh, secured debt. debt. Do you do you recommend people pay their uh, estimates on a timely basis? Yes. <laughs> yes, do, I do. So uh, yeah, you pay yours timely. Well, <laughs> of course he's going to say yes. Why? Do you like pay yours say, on time? No, I don't ever pay mine ever, and it always causes me total agita. Till you know, constantly, but it's hard to do that and to put it. <coughs> time you, know, you get a fee, do you take like thirty nine percent and put it in your tax account and pay it. I mean, come on. <laughs> and because I assume you a lot of here's the question. You, with your with your awareness and knowledge, yeah, you should be able to legally <coughs> avoid, right? I mean, this is the thing. If I were I, without all my stress about it, you you know the rules, right? So you should be able to, like Learned Hand said, you should hook yourself up, right? So that means that you're paying maybe less than I'm making this up, yeah. but wouldn't you be paying less than a personal injury lawyer who doesn't know any better? So therefore. I'm just, I'm just, I assume you, you well, I'm, not, I'm not trying to get you to make, you know, some mea culpa statement here. I'm just saying, I assume it's all legal. I'm just saying because I am completely sort of sloppy about it. And also then it always sort of comes, you know, how hard it is. You must have clients like that I, that just, you know, are always, are always are like def, DEFCON 1. I, I always I pay, believe me, I'm overpaying, but it's like DEFCON by the time I get to it, how much do I owe? That kind of thing at the end yeah. of the year. It's nuts. And then with all the other issues that get involved yeah. with it. Well, here, here's what I, here's what I can tell you. I, um, I, when I started working as a lawyer, I started working for courts, um, and I then went to work in, in at a litigation law firm, and I learned to litigate, and I used my, my skills of gathering and organizing evidence and creating and and making arguments, um, to 
get good results for my clients who are mm -hmm. in distress. Um, um, as far as being a, a fancy financial wizard, that actually is not at the core of, of my, my knowledge or ability. I, okay. I See, he doesn't pay his estimates either. Well, no, <laughs> he, I, he does, but he's not saying you're not maxing out like right. pensions to, you know, if that's what you meant about the core of like, was somebody might say, here's what you need to do. Well, I don't know this. You put aside the maximum amount of your, you know, and then. I, I, I think I get, get good advice from, from accountants and financial okay. advisors, and I do my best to take, to take their advice. There you go. Right. Well, he the market's still going to crash advice. next year, so yeah. he may lose his money if he's in equities. Right. We have, I think, two minutes left of the oh. show. So is there um, so is there anything we missed that you wanted to add, Alan, to anybody for your potential clients and those who are listening or maybe listening in the future to our archive of the show? Um, good question. I don't know. We've talked about so many things. Yes, we have. Well, I think uh, that, that I think you know. I think pay New York State first. <laughs> pay New York State first. So we've been well, speaking. And 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 uh, New York State's tax department makes the IRS look like your kindly uncle. <laughs> so that's good to know. Well, uh, this was very helpful to me. I know where I'm going to go. Next but time I deal I with both of them and deal with them fairly. Because you also have really good sort of bedside manner, I think you're calming probably to your clients. I don't think you're like an, an hysteric. The way that I yes. have with a, you know, uh, you just seem to be someone who probably be good for people who come see you are in a probably a state of this is not fun, right? And, you know, yeah. and if you were an alarmist, if you were an alarmist, I think it wouldn't be helpful if you would say, you better do this, you're going to be in jail or, you know, debtor's prison. So, so <laughs> we, we've been speaking to tax attorney Alan R. Perlman. Um, a New York City sole practitioner who is an expert in um, in, in taxation, and he, you can find Alan again at arperlmanlaw.com or solveyourtaxproblemnow.com. Oh, okay, um, and or you could just uh, Google Alan Perlman, and if someone calls you or emails, can they email you to start up a relationship, or that's not something? No, calling call is, the office. Calling okay, is better. Call the office. Terrific. And again, <coughs> one more time, that number is 646-827-4257. Well, thank you for being with us today, Alan. We really thank you. Yeah, thank you. On short this notice. Great. We appreciate that. Thanks so much for having me. You're quite welcome. It was a lot of fun. And for our listeners, we will see you here in two weeks. We have a show coming up on Title IX, sexual harassment, sexual abuse, and sexual violence on campus. You won't want to miss that show. We'll be yeah, stay tuned for some one. promotions on the show. We'll tell you who's going to be on to talk about those gender discrimination issues on college and high school campuses. Until then, have a strong and powerful week. And from PRN Studios, and on behalf of Alan Perlman, Deborah Orell, Jack Tuckner, and Tuckner, Sipser, Weinstock, and Sipser. What do you say, Deb? Don't quit. Just remember, no matter what challenges you're going through in the workplace, discrimination, pregnancy issues, sexual harassment, equal pay, you may have a case, you may not have a case, but you will completely undercut the ability to do anything for yourself if you quit. So soon your chance will come